Today is April 21st, 2021. I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Educator with the University of Minnesota Extension. And earlier this morning, we recorded the first episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. The live webinar is hosted weekly at 7.30 a.m. Following the webinar, a audio recording will be released later in the day via podcast platforms. Today's webinar was moderated by fellow crops educators Jared Goplin and Dave Nikolai. Special guests included Dennis Toddy, director of the Midwest Climate Hub in Ames, Iowa. He provided us a weather outlook for the current crop situation. Also, we had internal guests, University of Minnesota Extension specialists, uh, Seth Nave, Jeff Coulter, and Dan Kaiser. Uh, They covered soybean, corn, and fertility management uh, topics. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly on Wednesdays for a discussion on current crop and crop management topics on the Field Notes program from University of Minnesota Extension. Certainly, this is an opportunity for people to have questions answered and and discussion. We have a couple of uh, state extension specialists on, uh, Dr. Seth Nave and Dr. Jeff Coulter, to help answer those questions later on in the program. Uh, But to begin with, we have some of our guests that we asked to come on board here to kind of kick things off for the uh, 2021 cropping season. Uh, We're gonna have Dr. uh, Dennis Toddy, who is the director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, which is a part of the USDA ARS located in Ames, Iowa. In addition to uh, Dennis, uh, we've asked Dr. Dan Kaiser, who is our extension soybean, uh, excuse me, extension soil fertility specialist at the University of Minnesota and to talk a little bit about some of those planting considerations in terms of starter fertilizer, um, et cetera. Just a few uh, suggestions that I might make, uh, I think at this point, Jared, if you have questions for the presenters, in uh, the bottom of your screen, you'll find a Q&A box. If you don't see it, just take your mouse and, and hover down there towards the bottom of your screen. That's um, an opportunity to type in a question. Uh, for us to see the question though, you have to hit the enter button after you type in uh, the question. If you have situations or concerns about some technical matter um, in terms of viewing the webinar, uh, please put those in the chat box and we'll try to pick those up. But certainly, again, if you have questions for the presenters, uh, type them in the Q&A box, Um, make sure you hit enter uh, so that we receive them on the other end and then we can relay those to uh, the presenters during, uh, during the webinar. And as we mentioned before, we are recording this uh, for uh, uh, future podcasts at this point in time. So I don't know if there's anything else, Jared. I'm going to, uh, at this point, turn it over to uh, Dr. Dennis Dottie. And uh, I've been on a lot of calls and weather calls throughout the winter season and, and last year with, uh, with Dennis. And uh, uh, he has spent some time in South Dakota State uh, as well now down in, in Iowa. So he's very familiar uh, with the Minnesota and the area with this. So Dennis, I'm going to turn it over to you, and uh, if you can hear me, you can go on from here, and then uh, we'll have a, a chance for some questions, and then uh, move on over to uh, uh, talk a little bit more with Dan Kaiser. Good morning. Thanks for having me, folks. Dave, I appreciate that. Uh, yes, a little more background, as I also worked with uh, Dave Nikolai's brother when I was at South Dakota State. know the area very well. Confirm you guys can hear me, and you can see my slides, correct? Excellent. Okay, we're going to give you a real quick overview of conditions on where we are right now and what's looking ahead um, for you know what's happening in, in our, the beginning of our cropping season here. Um, so 
situation. Obviously, we've had some very cold temperatures over the last week, 10 days or so, that has kind of brought down our soil temperatures. Um, this is a, a graphic uh, I stole from uh, National Oceanic okay. no, from from NOAA, uh, indicating you know generally we've got you know temperatures down in the 40s, soil temperatures in the 40s, southern part of the state. Um, upper, you know, same, same even the 30s as we go into, into northern parts of the state as we're looking at right now. Um, the dry, the, let's see. Let's go, and let's go ahead and move ahead. We also have some dry soil conditions despite some of the recent rainfalls. Uh, this graphic kind of gives you an overview of what our soil temperatures, or excuse me, our soil moisture conditions are looking like based on a NASA, NASA satellite model. There's a number of different uh, versions of, of soil, uh, um, soil moisture graphics out there. Uh, but um, let's go ahead and jump ahead and give you a little more zoomed in graphic here. These are based on percentiles, basically going from 0% to 100%. So the, the, the darker brown colors are the places where the satellite is saying the soil is driest. Anything that's in the green is on is on the wetter side, wetter compared to average. Uh, and this is looking at about a, a three to five foot profile is what we're in situation right now. So despite the recent rainfalls we've had, we still have some fairly dry soils overall. More uh, some wet wetter uh, conditions are in the far northern part of the state. Um, I didn't include the U.S. Drought Monitor map in my set of slides here. Uh, most of the state has been removed from categories on the U.S. Drought Monitor based on the recent rainfalls. Far northwest Minnesota and far southwest Minnesota still have some coverage on the U.S. Drought Monitor, but nothing major on the drought category right now. Okay looking ahead at this point, kind of where we are right now. The other thing is, is to remember, despite the cold temperatures we've had, we've still had very dry air and we still had wind. So that's still gonna be drying your soil surface out, not as quickly as it would have otherwise, but it still has been drying out uh, over the recent situation. So next seven days, what are we looking at in some conditions here? This is a graphic indicating potential precipitation over the next seven days, uh, again, a NOAA product. And we see that the state does have some coverage, you know, some moderate precipitation that is expected over the next seven days, as well as much in, uh, of the um, uh, Midwest. Now, to zoom in a little bit over Minnesota, pulled a graphic from the National Weather Service in, uh, in, in, uh, the, in the Twin Cities. On the left-hand side, a little more detail about what is expected over the next, uh, you know, especially the first part of next week, Monday through Wednesday next week, up to half inch, around half inch precipitation amounts is what is expected early next week. More of that towards the middle part of the week, it looks like right now. On the right-hand side, what's gonna happen with our temperatures over that time period? We do see a warm up at the end of the week, a little bit of cool down uh, in the first part of the weekend, and then uh, quite a bit of a warm up and in going into the early part of next week. So it looks like we're going to have a window of opportunity here where, where things are going to warm up a bit, soils will start to respond, and there may be an opportunity to do some field work activity, and then some of the rain starts to come in next week. Right now, that rain doesn't look too serious at this point. We will have to keep an eye on that for any potential worsening of that situation. And then as we look ahead at, at week two, this gets us into the first part of, of um, May. Um, 
this is a, a graphic from the Climate Prediction Center. Now we go to probabilities. What are the probabilities of being warmer or colder, wetter or drier? So the gray area over Minnesota indicates near normal conditions are, are the more likely situation right now, indicating that uh, this cold's kind of going to go away. It's not going to warm up a ton, but we will get back to more moderate conditions and near normal chances for precipitation. So it, so short answer is we've got an opportunity for some field work starting into early next week, maybe slowed down a little bit. After that, it looks like there will be more opportunity. So if, if you can't, aren't able to get things done uh, at this point, it looks like after that, there will be more opportunities for that. Okay, uh, that wraps up what I was gonna chat about. So we can deal with questions or move on, whichever uh, you folks wanna do here. I guess, uh, Dennis, to maybe just to summarize on the precept next week, um, on your map, you indicated a half to three quarters of an inch. Uh, were you looking at the, the, uh, the early part of next week, middle or end of next week for that precept to fall in the area? Yeah, the, the graphic shows you um, up through, this is Monday through Wednesday of next week. Uh, it looks like there could be a little bit more after that, a week out you know, when you're at a week out on the way of precipitation, beyond that, you don't want to start saying too much because there's a lot that can happen, especially in springtime precipitation. So yeah, this is Monday through Wednesday, more towards the middle part of the week is when we're expecting this precipitation. But certainly your, our temperatures are going to be uh, uh, well up into the 60s you indicated there, uh, maybe close to 70 by the end of next week. Right. And, and that will, you know, again, with these relatively dry soils, the soil should respond relatively quickly at this point. Uh, we don't have what we've had more frequently where we have very wet, uh, very cool soils that we're trying to overcome. I don't expect us to have as much of that. Obviously, far northern Minnesota or northwestern Minnesota, we got some colder temperatures. We'll take a little bit more to respond, but it's looking pretty good for, I, I would expect, uh, a fairly quick response in the way of soil temperatures. Is our soil profile deeper down, though? Are we going to overcome some of those drought situations that we had early, earlier? Did we have our enough precipitation? I mean, certainly maybe enough to get the crop out of the ground, but are we still looking for more for as far as you're concerned? Well, and, and that's, that's our concern right now in a lot of places, not only Minnesota, parts of Iowa, surrounding states. We didn't have a lot of that deeper soil moisture recharge uh, that we like to have to put that moisture in the bank. Uh, right now, I don't see big amounts that are going to put a lot more moisture back in that lower soil moisture profile. So I think we do have some risk going on. You know, we're going to be okay early on. Uh, I think we do have some risk as the summer goes along that there could be problems. And the longer range outlooks from the Climate Prediction Center do indicate some chances for warmer and drier as we get into the mid-late part of summer. So that is, is it's looking ahead. There's lots of things that can happen, but that's my, my, my longer term concern is that we're going to be kind of hanging on the edge of, of trying to, to making sure we get enough moisture in the soil going through the growing season here. Jared, do you have any uh, questions or anything else come in that you've noticed for Dennis? No, if anybody has any questions for Dennis, um, wants him to change the weather for us, I think now is your chance, right? Um, let Dennis know how to change the weather for us. Is that That's your job, right, Dennis? Well, you know, <laughs> when I came to USDA, I, I thought that I would get that lever to shift, but I decided I don't want to use it because if I make it rain for you guys, I rain on somebody's wedding day and I make nobody happy. So we're just going to work with what we know. Too much power. 
Yeah, I know I uh, had done a little digging around here and uh, certainly from about three to 10 feet, it's still plenty dry despite getting about three inches of rain here just not too long ago. So certainly much needed precip, but uh, not particularly uh, heavy in that subsoil moisture, I don't think so. Right. So there's, there's one quick question that came in from Jason, uh, one of our uh, audience members here. He says, what does the precipitation strength look like for next week? And maybe you can talk about some of those um, uh, percentages or, or amounts. I noticed on the graphic you were indicating, um, you know, seven tenths in the, in the Twin Cities area, maybe four tenths in Western Minnesota, but can you give any uh, uh, precipitation percentage here in terms of that likelihood? Ah, good, good question. Okay. Uh, I, the likelihood right now is, is pretty good that there will be some precipitation. Obviously, the amount is more in question at this point. It, it does look like there is, is a fairly decent system that is going to be coming up through the middle part of the country next week um, that will be uh, you know, causing some, some rainfall. Uh, it's probably going to be more of a severe weather problem down south. You folks are on the north side of it, so it looks like there will be precipitation. It just becomes more how much moisture is there available and what, what are the amounts we're dealing with. So what I'm saying is it could be a little less. You know, We could get just a few tents, or it could get a little bit more, depending on how, how the system lines up. But you're, we're over 50% chances at, at this point in time, as far as you're concerned. I, I think so, yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, any other, uh, he said, thanks for the comments, by the way. A any other comments, uh, Jared, or anything else that, that came to mind or that you've seen? Oh, I think that's kind of a nice lead in to uh, some of the rest of the conversation today. You know, obviously, there's been a lot of questions so far about planting into colder soils and, um, and uh, you know, certainly brings up some of the fertility questions too. There's been a lot of fertilizer going on. So I think that's kind of a perfect lead in to, to Dan. Well, I, I think. Yeah, that would be good. Dennis, can you hang on with us this morning for a while? Sure, I can. Uh, yeah. Let me throw in let me throw in one more thing real okay. quickly. I, I forgot to include the NAS reports on on crop progress. Uh, small grains progress has been ahead of average. Those dry soils, people are able to make progress. Not you know a little bit on corn and not much on soybeans yet. Obviously, waiting for the, for those temperatures. But otherwise, yes, I'll be happy to hold on if there's any other follow up yeah. you need to do. Well, hang on for twenty minutes. So. Um, if you, yeah, I think you stopped sharing your slides, you're fine. I want to introduce uh, Dr. Dan Kaiser, our extension soil specialist out of the uh, University of Minnesota out of Twin Cities. And uh, Dan, I'm going to turn it over to you. And I don't know if you have a slide or two, but you, if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. But um, at, this, at this point, we'll let you uh, go ahead. And, and at least we're hoping to talk about a couple of issues, including starter fertilizer as well. So it's your show. Yeah, and I think uh, what, what Dennis was talking about, too, with soil moisture conditions, I think are going to spur some questions um, this spring. Uh, specifically, starter, I've been getting a few questions related to it, um, related to rates. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that because it's one of the things that concerns me the most right now, um, particularly if our soils remain dry, is it's not really going to be a year that we want to look at uh, pushing some of the rates for a traditional infer placement. Um, I have gotten a few questions. Um, I haven't looked at that, so I'm not going to really cover that. Um, it's one of the things I need to probably start looking at a little bit more because we've been seeing some more questions related to, uh, you know, looking at that split band system. And um, especially if we can get the material away from the row, the safety, 
becomes less of an issue. Um, when we start looking at starter, uh, really the rule of thumb that I use for a lot of growers is an inch of soil between the, um, the band and, and placement of the seed is really enough typically to safe and or, or at least reduce some of the issues with the product. Now the furrow jet, when you're looking at a split band on both sides, you know, the question is really the concentration is the same relative to the amount of row, but if you're getting enough soil between the, um, the, where the, the seed is and the, the fertilizer, it shouldn't be much of an issue. So some of the questions that have been coming in have been related to, go ahead, Dave. Well, I was gonna say, maybe you, you want to, you're, you bogged down a little bit, you want to maybe just turn off your camera for a little bit, might get your bandwidth up a little bit more um, on it. I don't know, okay. we, we can't all see the top graphic part of here unless you want to scroll the screen. Or you just want to see table four, but I don't know. I, I just want to see table four because okay. what, what I was going to talk about with salt index, this is kind of one of the things that comes up more than anything. And I'll put the link to this article if you want to read through it. This was uh, something back from 2001 by John Mortbet. Um, it's kind of a classic one that I use that talks about calculating salt index because that's one of the things that comes up more and more with fertilizer. Uh, the thing I wanted to show this was just looking at the actual salt index values. If you look at 1034 relative to some of these um, lower salt, these higher costs like 624.6 and 318.18 that it is much higher. But what I've seen a lot of time with 1034 is the five gallon rate, particularly for our medium or heavier soils really hasn't been much of an issue. Um, if you look at it in terms of recommendations about 20 in the salt indexes um, um, placement, you see 721.7 and 41010 being slightly higher. The main piece, though, that the salt index doesn't cover is ammonia, though, and that's one of the things that, you know, I work talking through a lot of issues or a lot of troubleshooting is looking at some of these other products and looking at situations where we have um, ammonia liberation in the furrow, which becomes substantially um, greater of an issue, particularly for drier soil conditions. And the thing that concerns me the most, particularly we get into some of these lower salt products, is the fact that they use urea to to spike up some of the nitrogen content of it. So it's one of the things that it isn't out of the realm of possibility that even if you use one of these lower salt products that you might see a problem. And I you know, talked to a consultant a couple of weeks ago that had a grower last year that um, had been using 624.6 and had some issues. You could see right down to the line where the yield was lower with the starter than without. So that's one of the things to think about with these dry conditions that uh, some of these products aren't necessarily uh, completely safe or even with the lower salt index. So it's just one thing to watch out for. Again, I just would not be pushing the rates, um, particularly if it's going right down directly on the seed. Um, the resources I'd have to look back, South Dakota State had a pretty good, um, uh, it was a, a worksheet that Ron Gelderman had put together looking at um, different starters, uh, different crops, then he, I think he had a built-in um, looking at soil moisture conditions as well into that uh, decision aid, which would kind of give you a general idea what we would consider to be a, a safe amount, although I mean nothing's relatively safe. So that's one of the things you have to kind of watch out for with it. However, uh, with um, you know some of this interest, I think some of this, and I just want to kind of talk briefly. I've been getting more questions on uh, some of these biologicals. Um, I just want to bring up some of the data we have from last year because I know there has been some interest on that, particularly um, this Pivot Bio product. And um, I'm going to be coming out with a crop news release, just talking a little bit more about these products. 
and kind of where I view them fitting in and then also testing them. Because most of these things, if you start looking at these biologicals, they set up very well for inferral placement. So it, it's interesting when you look at it, um, some of those starters that it kind of ebbs and flows with growers that they start seeing less value for it. And some of them then go away from it. Then the crop prices get higher then you see it come back. So this might be a situation where we start seeing these things um, come back with some of these products. So what I've done with these, um, this, this Pivot Bio Proven product, we've had testing with this product at four locations. Um, I had two back in 2019, and I'm not gonna show any of that data because it looks exactly like this Becker data from 2020, which essentially no yield response. The, what we had are eight nitrogen rates um, where we were applying with and without the product in furrow at the recommended rate. Uh, the two sites in 2019 were Rosemont and Lamberton. And um, again, just looking at the data, Rosemont looked like we could see some nitrogen uptake differences early on, but yields were exactly the same later in the season. The only time I've seen, um, and was last year, it was Sika, which kind of piqued my interest. We did see some differences at that given location. And if you look at this, uh, my bar here is covering this up. There's a slight difference in terms of where we achieved our maximum um, response to N at this given location. It equated to about a 30 pound difference where it looked like we were supplying roughly 30 pounds of N with that particular product in furrow at that given location, which is kind of the way this product, I mean, it should work if it's gonna work because what it is is a biological, it's, an, it's a free living nitrogen fixer that's supposed to fix nitrogen and supply that nitrogen to the crop over the growing season. The main thing about these products though is right here is if you look at the maximum yield, it was exactly the, I mean, our maximum yield potential was the same no matter whether we had the product or not. And if we over applied nitrogen, really then the benefit of the product went away. So that's what I'm, I'm gonna be talking about quite a bit in the, uh, the crop news release is when you look at these things, these things aren't anything where I view that they're gonna give you an overall yield boost across all the nitrogen rates you apply. Really, you're looking at, I think these products being more effective in situations where you might be kind of on that edge or slightly below that optimal nitrogen rate um, and really where they may be a benefit if you're trying to eliminate some um, side dress application or something. Um, and really what I'm interested in is looking at situations like at Waseca where we've been seeing high end, end rate or high nitrogen responses at these locations, you know, whether or not this is, could be something that works in and in some of these uh, really poorly drained soils across the state. So I'll have two more locations out. Um, we're gonna go with another location at Waseca in 2021. And I've got a location going out at Morris on a, a poorly drained site as well, just to look at this because I wanna see just consistency of this product because, you know, one out of four sites seeing a response, a three out of four, no response. Really, um, the more data you have in terms of the more locations, the better off you generally are gonna be in terms of getting an idea and how consistent the yield increases are gonna be, because this isn't gonna be something that's gonna be 100% effective. And that's one of the things that, you know, I really stress with a lot of these specialty products is they might be a niche where they fit very well, but it's not likely gonna be across soils. And I'm kind of curious if, um, some of these products are gonna fit better on situations, again, where we have high levels of denitrification. Um, and it seems like the areas where we don't have that are where particularly like our silt loams or soils that are more well aerated, the sites that we've had, they haven't really um, paid out in the end. So, you know, kind of pay attention to that. That's one thing I'll be updating, but I just wanted to share that because this is kind of one of the things that's starting to work in to the inferral market as well with that. So 
that's all I have. Um, you know, if there's questions, I mean, certainly there's some other things we'll likely see with the drier soils um, that may come up, particularly with some of our fertilizer applications. Um, but, um, you know, starter is one of the things I just would pay attention to this year, because if you do have dry soils, again, I'd be looking at uh, potentially reducing rates. The minimum I typically recommend to growers to put on um, for that growth boost um, is, um, if you're looking at infero, is, is around 10 pounds of P2O5, which is uh, roughly about two and a half gallons of 1034L. So you don't really need a lot if your um, whole intention is to try to get things sped up here in these cool soils, get things out of the ground a lot quicker. So really pushing the rates too high really isn't as necessary. Um, even with the cold soil conditions, um, you can you can go with a, a reduced rate and, and still not have and not have the issues with germination, but still have some of the desired effect in terms of the growth benefit. Just to clarify that, Dan, are you talking about next to the seed or or two by two when you mentioned those numbers? Well, two by two is different. Um, two by two, you can go with a higher amount. The only thing I don't know what's going to happen with two by two with dry soil is kind of how far the ammonia will creep out of that band. So I would just be careful. If you're putting on UAN, um, I mean, if you look at, I mean, the salt index of UAN is 63. It's three times higher than 1034.0. But the big thing with UAN being that it has urea in it, uh, urea generates ammonium, ammonia, NH3. Ammonium, NH4, isn't an issue. But the NH3, um, that is a bigger problem because that's really what we tend to see the root damage come from. So I just to be a little bit careful with rates. Um, you know, in general, if you're looking at a two by two, getting at least two inches of soil between the seed and the, the band, that's really not as big of a problem. And with a surface dribble band, you shouldn't have that much of an issue as well. Just check the, the placements and where it's going and make sure that it is going off to the side of the seed trench. So you're not um, having any risk of it creeping down in on top of the seed um, when the, when the material is being applied. I know uh, your coworker Seth Nave put a question in here about temperature. I you phrased it. How does temperature affect salt effects? I think we kind of covered that a little bit, but cold soils and slower emergence leads to longer time in contact with fertilizers. And he's asking, is is that correct? Is that a correct assumption? It could be. Um, typically, if the damage is going to occur, it's going to occur right away, right as that root emerges, um, because that's what you'll generally see if you dig the plants up. I mean, the roots are going to be really short and they're going to be black. So they're, I mean, it's really that immediate contact. So, you know, whether you're looking at cold soils where it's, it's probably just going to moderate about the same as if your emergence is slower, you have more time for contact. But if the emergence is quicker, if it's warmer, then you're likely going to see the fertilizer convert a lot quicker. So I think it's going to be roughly the same for it. I mean, they said the damage is immediate. If it's going to damage it, it's going to happen immediately as that root comes out. It isn't going to be slow over time. Uh, so it'll, it'll, that effect will be seen right away um, if the conditions are right and if you've got a lot of salt or ammonia in the, uh, the seed row when that um, root's emerging. Jerry, yeah, what's you the... Uh... What's the mode of action or how are these biologicals? What are they actually doing? Or I suppose it's probably a variety of, of, of things they might be doing, but uh, kind of what's the idea behind that? So like the Pivot Bioproven product, what that is, is uh, they isolated some bacteria from the rhizosphere on the root. So what they were looking for essentially is looking to see what was living around there. And what they did is they tried to engineer some of these bacteria that are, are free living nitrogen fixers to survive in conditions where there's higher nitrogen availability because what we see with a lot of these um, products 
is when you supply nitrogen, typically the activity of a lot of these free living infixers goes down because they really don't need to be active. So what they're trying to do with uh, particularly the proven product is um, get them to survive. So they'll supply some nitrogen or at least a sufficient enough quantity, which could potentially reduce um, the rate required within a given field. So that's really the mode of action for um, that particular product. But there's a number of products out there. I mean, there's, um, and I'll talk about that in the, um, in the article, um, I'll go into more detail because there are several others. We looked at, uh, we tested a couple of products last year for sugar beet. One was a product called um, BioMate and BioRed, which is a company called BioVante. Um, they've um, a couple of places in Minnesota that at least the, the retailer we got it out of was out of Grand Meadow. And they know that the rep was uh, closer to the, into the Southwest for that product. And that's kind of a similar product. Um, you know, similar, it's azobacter, uh, clostridium, it's a number of um, free living end fixers that are supposed to supply uh, nitrogen to the root net for the sugar beet, it didn't do anything. We also tested another product, which was a, um, uh, it's a chitosan product, which essentially is an extract from the shells of shrimp. Um, what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to biologically um, help with disease suppression and um, do some other things. If you look around, you can find some data on it online. Uh, it didn't do anything though for us for that. So there's a number of different classes that you can look at that are being sold for, for um, many other effects out there. So the best thing, I mean, we're starting to get more information on that um, in terms of some of these classes. Um, the big ones I think you're gonna see though are these free living end fixers. I mean, those are the ones that are, I think are gonna be more um, prevalent in the market because we're looking for ways to supply nitrogen that we can reduce fertilizer. So you're seeing a lot of companies, venture capital companies put money into um, development of, of products to do uh, those types of things. Dan, given I, the, oh, well, I was going to say, given the, the current forecast, you know, I guess there is a question here from, uh, from Roger on thoughts about anhydrous over urea, given the current dry conditions. And I guess I'll expand that because um, I guess there's kind of another question about inhibitors um, and thoughts on utilizing that. So well, you want to make some comments on that given the, the forecast? Well, with dry soils, I mean, anhydrous certainly, we know the bands will creep out a little bit farther. I mean, I I'm, I'm, guess I'm a little, little less concerned if you've got, um, if you can kind of get things down about four or six inches with the application where we shouldn't have as much of an issue. Urea will be an interesting one particularly with uh, shallower incorporation, what's going to happen. Right now, things are cool. So with cool conditions, I'm less concerned about loss with, um, with volatility with urea. Um, I'm less concerned about um, suggesting growers use um, products like Agritain to try to slow it. Um, if it would get warmer and we'd see temperatures um, creep up, um, it could be more of a problem. So that's one of the things that, um, you know, kind of could come into play later on as early as we are now um, with the moisture we have, we should have enough there to hydrolyze the urea where I wouldn't be as concerned about it. But shallow incorporations, um, you know, it's something you might want to consider, maybe something like an agritain. If you're uh, not, um, you know, doing a whole lot of incorporation with uh, with a particular material, if it remains dry. But, um, but again, as cool as it is right now um, with, just general um, kind of incorporation where you normally see from secondary tillage. I don't think I'd be worried too much about it, but um, we'll kind of see what happens later in the growing season, you know, with the difference of these products, because we have, you know, seemingly seen some impacts of the two in terms of seeing some differences in 
responses based on some of these years that we've had the last few years, but they've been wet years. So it'd be kind of interesting to see what happens this year if we were, we're dry again across some um, parts of the state. Okay. Um, I know, Jared, we have a, another question that came in, not specifically for Dan, but uh, I don't know if we want to segue back and forth here. Uh, this one, um, uh, uh, we've got an actual question for Jeff Coulter. Uh, Dr. Coulter, are you uh, on the line here? Maybe just, and this is a question that came in from Doug, and it's, it's a little bit on planting time, and we'll talk more about this next week, but his question is, is planted corn, okay? Now, not plantain, but we're talking about corn that's in the ground. Is planted corn okay? considering the cold. So the assumption here is that, you know, we're talking about corn that's already planted or being planted today or, or whatever it might be situation here, considering the cold. Do you want to talk a little bit about that uh, briefly, Jeff? Yeah, good question, Doug. So the biggest concern is when we uh, have soil temperatures that drop into the low 40s within the first couple of days after planting. And I went and looked at the soil temperatures from Lamberton, Minnesota, and they report the daily maximum and minimum two inch soil temp uh, for the last month. And basically since uh, April 11, April 12, uh, every day the minimum soil temperature has been down around the low 40s or less. Um, so it is a concern. Um, I'd keep an eye on that field and uh, you know see how it's doing here. Um, one, you know, in a couple, couple weeks or so, uh, you know, keep an early eye on that one and see if we need to replant it. If so, um, we can get after it early. The good news is that the corn hybrids have a lot better cold tolerance than in the past. Um, in, another thing is that at Waseca, Minnesota, Tom Hoverstead has planted some corn on April 2 during that warm stretch. And as of yesterday, the coleoptile was out about a half an inch of the, out of the seed. So, and that, that seed looked fine. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, hopefully it'll be okay. Dave, okay. hey, I think we'll maybe expand that question. Uh, Dr. Seth Nave is on here as well. So Seth, if you're around, uh, you wanna make some comments on any soybeans? I know there's been a number of soybeans that have been in the, gone in the ground already too. Yeah, I guess um, um, starting at the beginning of this, I think there was a lot of push towards really early planting in soybean. And so, so some farmers really were experimenting with it this year and got stuff going really, really early. Um, you know, and it's, it's a big risk. I think there's going to definitely be some loss out there. Um, there's going to be a lot of replanted of those very early soybeans, but certainly not at the, at the type of a, of a cost of farmers that a, that a corn replanting issue would cost. So I, you know, I guess um, from a very practical matter, I mean, I think it's time farmers are going to be getting back in the field now and, and planting corn, and then they just need to get at their soybeans after that. I don't think, I don't know that, um, I think soybeans could be at um, similar types of risk in the, in terms of the core of the soybeans that are in the ground as the corn, just because of the timing of it. Um, but we're going to have some stand. So the stand loss of in those fields where we've had some cold injury won't be as uh, as deleterious as damaging to the to the crop as as with the with corn certainly because we can we can stand more loss. But going forward, I think farmers just need to again from a very practical standpoint, they're just going to have to get at it as soon as they get their corn, and it's going to be when they start planting corn, they're just going to move into soybeans right away. Well, that that brings up that we have one quick question from Doug here, and based upon what Dennis uh, has told us a little bit about the weather forecast. 
Um, you know, pretty good chance of precip, not a great amount next week, but warming up. This question is, can we start planting? Well, I'm just to phrase it. Can we start planting corn and soybeans tomorrow? What are your thoughts, both uh, Jeff and Seth, on that? Yeah, good question, Doug. So once the minimum daily two-inch soil temperature can hold above the low 40s, we, I think we can plant corn with less risk of poor stand establishment. It appears like it's going to be at that temperature level probably tomorrow afternoon and on Friday. Um, although Friday and Saturday evenings look cold, I expect that the soil temp is not going to drop into the low 40s. And if it does, it's not going to be there very long. Um, if we get some corn in this week, that would maybe help a little bit uh, in case we get this wet weather next week. Um, next week definitely looks good. And I think the big question is, is what do we do later this week? And uh, I wouldn't be uh, too afraid to get some acres in this week while the soil conditions are good once it warms up a little bit. Seth, your comments on soybeans? I totally agree, but I think... Um... I think I'm right with with Jeff with that, but I think I'd like to go to Dennis with this and and maybe expand on the soil temperature, soil moisture, um, you know, issue that was mentioned earlier. And if we don't, if we're not looking at a lot of rainfall, soils are dry. Um, what what's your forecast for soil temperatures? Right. So you you know your air temperature, you know your forecast for rainfall. Um, these drier soils uh, should are going to bounce around a little bit more certainly but what do you what do you think based on jeff's comments about soil temperatures what do you see coming for going forward i you know i i would agree with you that i i wouldn't have i i'd want it to warm up a little bit you know give it a day or two to warm up and then i think you could probably go ahead relatively safely uh depending on what your local conditions are um soils you know the soil surfaces are relatively dry like I said, unlike some recent years. So um, they are gonna bounce around more, but the temperatures are going to continue to moderate. And as long as we get some sunshine and we don't get too cold at night, I ha don't have too much concern uh, about what's gonna happen after this point. We're not gonna move, it doesn't look like we're gonna move, you know, we're gonna suddenly flip to very warm conditions and, and, and blast things through. But I think we're going to get into a situation that is much more moderate and, and much, better for moving ahead with uh, with field activity and getting things in the ground. Okay. And Dennis, your eight to 14 day forecast showed um, moderate, you know, right in the middle um, for in terms of rainfall. So we can expect some rainfall in the long term. But in terms of working days, if farmers are really concerned about getting the crops in in the first couple weeks of May, I mean, we've got a, it looks like from this, you know, very early forecast, I mean, there should be working days available for us going forward. We're not expecting uh, a deluge here that what's going to keep us out of the fields. Yeah, your interpretation is, is right on with what we expect to see, you know, because our soils are dry, um, you know, maybe not terribly dry, but somewhat dry, they can take on a little bit moisture, unlike some previous years, you know, previous years you folks have had up there. And from what we can see from precipitation right now, we won't say near normal precipitation, but we would expect more typical springtime probabilities where you're gonna kind of bump up and down in the way of temperature and you'll have some periodic precipitation. But right now it doesn't look like 
lots of precipitation that would slow you down for multiple days. Uh, more kinds of precipitation that might keep you out of the field for a day or two, and then you'll have uh, and 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 you know an intervening time where you can get in. So. I mean, if, if your field conditions are good and you're ready to go, I would go. If you don't get in at this point, I wouldn't get too concerned about it at this point, that there will be some more opportunities coming, especially as we get in the first part of May. So, so there's a question that came in, Dennis, and maybe for Jeff and Seth here is, you know, the soil temperature can be taken at different depths. So, you know, you, you, they're reported from a lot of experiment stations at two inch, four inch and eight inch, you know. So what we should what should we really track is is eight inch really relevant here to our discussion or or what would be more relevant uh, in there? So uh, maybe Dennis first and then maybe uh, uh, Jeff and Seth a little bit. Well, let's remind people I'm a, I'm a climatologist, not a soil scientist. I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, so I don't want to don't want to take on that that route. I, you know, if you look down deeper in the profile, I was just looking at some of the six-inch soil temperatures from around the state, and those are relatively warm at this point. So that's also going to help out your situation. The soil surfaces have 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 cooled because of the cool air temperatures, but you're going to have you know heating from both sides. You're going to help move us along, and I'm going to stop there before I get myself in any more trouble and turn it back over to guys who know more about soils than I do. Yeah, Doug, what I notice is that the two inch and four inch soil depths are fairly similar. Um, the four inch is a little more buffered. Um, at this point, I'm mostly concerned about the two inch depth. I'd agree. And just, you know, from again, from a totally practical sense, the immediate timing is the two inch depth is important for us. But I think Dennis brought up a really good point about you know, if you really are really going to take an academic view of this and look at at um at the the forecasted temperatures for that uh, soil profile looking deeper is is informative it if if it is deeper if it is warmer like it is now that gives us a better chance for uh, warming that up over over time so i'm i'm right with you guys well i i think jared it's uh, we're reaching our a little bit past our hour it's our first uh presentation here today uh, there is a, uh, a fertilizer decision guide uh, that's a very interactive put together at South Dakota State University, IPNI, and so forth that uh, Dan Kaiser put in here. We'll put that into our, uh, I imagine, for our people that are watching, listening to our podcast later on, uh, a link to that as well into our page. What do you think, Jared, to have that? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of links in the chat here. Um, again, there's just another posting here of the Field Notes podcast. Again, uh, visit that if you want to subscribe. That way, you know, if you aren't able to attend in person in the future, you can still listen to the conversation. Uh, I think this was a great first episode to kick things off. Uh, I know there's a lot of other questions out there, so I encourage everybody to, to submit those questions. Either shoot, shoot them to us in an email or uh, visit that question submission page on the Strategic Farming website. We'll be back again next week, um, uh, Wednesday morning again at 730 with another installment of Field Notes. Um, certainly will be an emphasis on planting and emergence. We anticipate at that point in time, uh, Jared, in terms of uh, subject matter, but uh, we'll be letting people know more about that as we get uh, closer to that date. So that'll be uh, April 28th. Yep, we'll, uh, we'll meet, meet back here again. Uh, it should be the same link that you got um, in this email uh, again at 7.30 next week. So with that, I thank, I thank you all for your attendance and see you back next week. Yep. Thank you to all of our presenters, uh, uh, Dan Kaiser and Dennis. I appreciate that. 
um, uh, and uh, your information as well as what uh, Jeff and Seth were able to provide us as well this morning. So thanks again, and uh, we'll go forward from there. Thank you, Dennis.